Amen. Um, I have a verse that popped into my head that's not part of my message, obviously, because I didn't know you were going to give a testimony. Sam, I appreciate you doing that, and that gives glory to God for sure. Uh, there's this passage in the book of Acts when the apostles were being persecuted early on, and they were told that they were not uh, allowed to preach uh, in, this, in the area of Jerusalem. And it's in Acts chapter 4, and it says they, uh, they, they brought them in and they, they challenged them and the rulers and the elders of the people and they, they called them to account. And then they said, uh, Peter said, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And then when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled and unlearned men, meaning they weren't part of the they didn't go to the school of Gamaliel, or they didn't go to the rabbinical school, and they, they weren't paid. Um, they were astonished because they had such courage, but then they noted that these guys had been with Jesus. And they could see that the man that they healed was standing there, so they couldn't put it against them that it wasn't true, because they really did you know, heal a man in the name of Jesus. And they said, what are we going to do with these guys, because they just keep doing what we tell them not to do, which is to go throughout the temple courts and preach Jesus crucified. And it says... Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, to stop this Christianity thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. There's this power in the name of Jesus that we just kind of, you know, we like, yeah, we pray in Jesus' name, and but your testimony, it shows that there is this name, Jesus, that, that was given to us to speak and to use on the behalf of our children and the behalf of our marriage and the behalf of our everything, health. There's power in it. And so thank you for your testimony. I just As soon as you start talking about that and just speak the name of Jesus, I don't want to go on this whole other sermon on instances where I've spoken to people and, and just talk to them about church and talk about Jesus and see just their eyes just get big and it's almost like something in them went, oh my goodness, you know, he just brought up the most powerful name in the history and, and uh, so awesome, uh, awesome testimony. We'll continue to try and do that so be thinking about it through the week. I think you had thought about doing it maybe a little bit before and changed your mind. I'm glad you did today. Um, are, are any of you concerned about the state of our country right now? Yeah? little bit. Gas prices are at uh, record high. First time in the history of America, it's over $5 a gallon on average in the history of the United States. Um, food shortages, you guys have been down the, walk down the aisles of the grocery store and you've seen the food shortages and you've seen, uh, if you remember COVID, some of you uh, Maybe some of you, maybe some of you not, went down to the store to look for toilet paper because there was fights breaking out in Walmart and City Market, uh, fist fights because people were taking the last rolls and they were hoarding and they were selfish people because they were taking too much toilet paper. The blackout we just had recently, does anybody remember? I mean, that was just a few days ago we had a blackout here in Grand Junction. Um, interest rates are increasing, largest increase since 1970-something. Um, and then our... Uh, our Stock market's collapsing. We've got these open borders. I mean, I could go on and on and on about things. And when I read the news and I look at them, 
that have a direct uh, uh, correlation to our livelihood and what we do. And I mean, it's directly related to us. And we, we, we're supposed to supposedly separate talking about politics in, uh, from the pulpit. And I disagree with that. I don't think that that's uh, what our forefathers intended. I don't think that's biblical. Um, we can go back to Acts chapter 4 and see that it wasn't biblical because they were in a theocracy at the time. And, um, but they were also under Roman rule. And so they were told to stop by their own religious leaders, and they didn't. Um, so I look at these things, and, and I, I, what's going on, and I read articles. And I had a friend call me a few days ago, um, and he says, Hey, Nate, and he's one of my best friends. Uh, and he says, have you heard about the recent, most, uh, most recent conspiracy theory about fuel shortages? And I said, no, I'm always up for a good conspiracy theory. I want you to tell me what did you hear. And I had already kind of known who, who called him. And he said, um, well, supposedly in the next three days, there's going to be no fuel uh, in Grand Junction is how I understood it when he said that. Is that really going to shut the fuel down for, for people in Grand Junction? And, you know, I immediately began to think about Joe Biden uh, recently, but a little bit before this, sent a letter out to seven of the largest oil uh, manufacturers, suppliers, uh, Chevron, ExxonMobil, uh, BP, Shell, uh, Valero Energy, Phillips 66, and uh, I think it's Marathon, uh, Marathon Petroleum, are the seven biggest suppliers either in the U.S. or the world. And he sent a letter saying, you get, your profits are too high. And so you need to, you need to you know, decrease the profit margin and, and help out the American people. So basically, our, our president and his, uh, his, his I, can't say, I can't say wisdom and president in the same sentence, sorry. Um, his thinking is, I'm going to pass the buck to the oil companies. And you know, naturally, as, a, as someone that reads the news, I'm sitting there looking at it going, well, um, the last time a refinery was built in America was 1976. 1976 was the last time a refinery was built in America. In 1976, we had 218 million people living in the United States. Now we have 330 million people. So the same refineries that we had in 1976 are also supposed to supply an extra 100 and 12 million people, many of whom are driving, multiple cars now. People don't just have one car or two cars. Sometimes they have four or five cars in their fleet. And so now we're supposed to provide for the American people. So they're passing the buck. Our president's passing the buck on the oil companies for having too high of a profit margin. And so I'm going to confess to you when I'm thinking about this, and my friend calls me and says, have you heard about this? I'm like, this could be a real possibility. We could end up going down to the gas station in fact, if you went by Sam's Club, you'll notice there was five cones in front of, so four or five cones in front of the gas line because they're out of fuel. Was it Dibble Oil that, that didn't have diesel? You're shaking your head, Brooke. Is that true? Dibble Oil? What's that? It ran out? Yeah. So, they, they, so it happened you know, in, in small little pieces, and I, I'm sitting there thinking about it going, man, this is crazy. So I called Brenda, and I said, hey, I... How's your car? Is it full of gas? She's like, well, I need some fuel. I said, you need to go get it. And you need to get fuel in the motorhome. And then I naturally looked down at my, uh, I looked down at my, my fuel gauge and it said fuel. I just filled up the day before and so I felt okay. But I had this tank at my house that we use. It's red dye for the skid steer and the backhoe. I'm like, well, I need to call them, the co-op, and have them come. So I'm naturally thinking about how to protect myself 
against the potential shortage of fuel. And I enjoyed the conversation, but naturally as I think through that whole process and that conversation that's playing out in my head, sometimes I'll turn off the radio and I'll talk to myself out loud and people just think I'm talking to somebody on the speaker, the Bluetooth or whatever, but I'm actually saying, well, what about this, Nate? And, and uh, what about this? And, and, I th and I started to chuckle because I said, what if I got a different call and it wasn't from one of my closest friends who we align in a lot of political and religious beliefs? What if it wasn't from one of my closest friends? What if it was from God? What if God called me? And God says, and I answer the phone, and I say, hello. Hey, son, this is Abba. I wanted to visit with you about something. Um, I just want to give you a heads up that I'm going to be coming back soon. And uh, I wanted to let you know it's going to be sooner than that you probably think. I want you to be ready. I've given ample opportunity to people in the United States, people of the world. They've heard my name. They've heard, they've heard my name preached. They've heard the gospel. Those that have had ears, they've heard. Those that don't want to hear, haven't heard. And so I just want to let you know I'm coming back. And I want you to let you know because I love you. Fill up your lamp with oil. And I chuckled because I get so focused on the political side that we're in right now, the polarizing uh, situation we're in with the United States, with our government. And I chuckled because I'm like, we focus so much, I focus so much so often about those things that are very temporary, that are not essential for my salvation. They're temporary, and, I, and sometimes I don't focus, I lose focus a little bit. I lose focus a little bit on the things that matter, which is the eternal. We've got the temporal that we focus on. I'm like, go fill up the gas tank. And then we have the eternal that we kind of just get blinded by and we don't think much about until maybe you come to church or, or you're driving by yourself and talking to yourself and your friend calls and you work your way through a conversation in your own head and then you say, oh, I need to focus more on the eternal. And I feel like when we put everything on the table, as Christians, we need to have the perspective or as people seeking Christ, we need to have the perspective that this life will pass and that eternity awaits. This life here on earth will pass, and I recognize that fuel shortages and food shortages are going to be just painful and devastating for most people. Not all people, but most people. Because they don't know how to provide for themselves oftentimes. And that's not a slam, that's just saying that's just the fact that we don't have food and I looked at the toilet paper shortage and I laughed and I said, well, <laughs> go buy a bidet. <laughs> Garden hose. Not to be gross, but there's always a way. Go hunting with my kids. You don't need toilet paper. Okay? God gave us plenty of natural toilet paper out there if you're truly concerned about it. But we focus, you're shaking your head. Like, All right. We focus on the things that, uh, that, that don't necessarily matter as much as we should focus on the eternal. So, after this conspiracy call, um, I began to think about the words of my Lord and Savior about being prepared because life is, as we know it here on earth, Jesus is coming back. We talk about that in the script. I mean, it's coming, he's coming back. And if your life tragically ends before Jesus comes back, you still need to have oil in your lamp. And last night, after I kind of finished up some little things on this message, so Brenda, I said, I, kind of, I want to watch a movie for a little bit before I go to bed. And so I found the movie We Are Marshall. Are you familiar with that movie, We Are Marshall? Matthew McConaughey, he's a football coach. And um, 1970s, and, and there's a tragic uh, plane 
crash uh, in West Virginia on the way back home from West Virginia. And they interviewed or they called about 15 different coaches and nobody would take it. So 75 people died on that flight instantly. I mean, as soon as that, I don't know if it was a lightning strike, that's kind of how it showed in the movie, and then the plane crashed and there's no survivors. 36 players, coaches, parents, uh, alumni, uh, booster club members, trainers, athletic director, not a single survivor. They're all dead just like that. And I was thinking about that movie, and, and as I was watching it, I began to think about the sermon some more as well. And I want to turn to Matthew chapter 24 in the words of Jesus. And the idea that we're thinking about is we need to focus as, as Christian people, especially in our, our political culture today, uh, how polarized it is with you've got the pendulum that, which has swung so far off to one side and so far off to the other, and everybody's pointing the finger at everybody else, um, and it's keeping us really focused on the here and the now, I think. And I think... The here and the now is important because we live in it, but I believe from the bottom of my heart, if we look at the words of Jesus, we need to focus more on the eternal, on the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporary, because the fuel shortage is temporary. We're going to run out of gas. They didn't have gas, you know, what, 100, 100 years ago? Something like that? I mean, they didn't, well, they made a had something like it, but they didn't have cars zipping all over like we do now, or airplanes. So they survived. They lived. So in Matthew chapter 24, Starting in verse 36, Jesus says, No one knows, and it's the, the headline of this whole passage is the day and hour is unknown. So no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah. So Jesus now is bringing in, in the, the concept of, of Noah when Noah's ark was built. And as Therese was singing, the Son, he's, I don't know how he, if you look, yeah, he was standing here. Did you move the microphone up, Therese, or... So he's standing here. If you look at the shadow, you look at the shadow. I was, as I was singing, I was looking at the shadow of trees, something like that. I was looking at the shadow of trees, and I was thinking about, and the Bible says these are a shadow of the things that are to come. And so Jesus is going back to the Old Testament. He's going back to Noah, and he starts talking about Noah and end times. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah at the beginning in Genesis chapter 6 and 7, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up till the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Maybe it's in a plane crash. Maybe Jesus is going to come right now. We're going to talk about that in a minute, about the expectation that we are to have in wanting him to come back. But keep watch. Uh, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So back to Noah real quick. In, Noah, uh, in Genesis chapter 6, we just have this story, and if you've ever read Genesis 6 and 7, or Genesis 6, rather, we see the story of Noah is living in a world of just unrighteous people. They're just filthy, sinful, unrighteous people, and God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to flood the earth, I'm going to rid the earth of all of the sin. And it says even the earth was corrupt because of what men had done. Because the evil that was out there, the earth itself was corrupt. And so I'm going to flood the earth, but I found a righteous man, and, I, and his three sons and their four wives, there's eight people, 
I found that we're going to save the human race through. And so I can picture, and if you've seen that movie, Evan Almighty, and it's a, kind of a spoof on Noah's Ark, but he receives this vision from God, and this vision from God is, who's the, who's the guy that is the character that acts as God? Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman acts like God, and he, he says, you know, he is God in the movie, and, and, and uh, what's his name? His facial hair just keeps growing really fast, and he works for Congress. And so, but he starts building this boat, and everybody's mocking him the entire time he's building this boat. This building this ark. Well, the same thing I can picture in the days of Noah. He's building this ark. God's giving him all of the instructions on how to build it. This many cubits tall, this many cubits wide. Make it out of this type of wood. Bring these animals. He's building this ark, and all the people are eating and drinking and laughing and, and having a gay old time and, and giving in marriage and taking marriage and all these things. And, and they're mocking him. And I can just picture when the floods came, what they were doing. The floods came, and they're going, oh, it's raining. It's still raining. Hey, honey, it's still raining. Maybe Noah wasn't crazy. Let's just walk over there and see what's going on. And then the floods came, and the earth gave up water from the top and the bottom, and I could see the doors coming up of the ark at the last moment. We're actually going to go see that ark, I think, in Kentucky or something. There's a replica of it. We're going to go there this summer. But I could see the doors come up and hearing... I can, I can just, I can picture that. If you close your eyes and you try to picture them banging on the ark, let me in, let me in, let me in. And the doors are going like this. Jesus is saying, for in the days before the prophet, people were doing this, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Think about that. We get caught up in $5 fuel prices, which I do, believe me, I drive a ton and I fill up. I'm like, goodness gracious, $190 to fill up my truck? That's insanity. I think about that. But then what about the days of Noah? It will be the same when Jesus comes back. And so Jesus is preaching this and he's telling them uh, to watch out, to be on your guard, be careful because you don't know which day the Lord will come. It's a promise in Scripture for every one of us, that Jesus is coming back. He's returning. So I mentioned earlier in my intro to God called me and he said, Hey, Abba, or son, this is Abba, your dad. This is your daddy. I want you to fill, I want you to make sure your, your jar is filled with oil. There's a story that Jesus continues in this, this, ser- this series of parables, or these series of teachings. And in Matthew chapter 25, he says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here comes the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give me some of your oil, or give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil... 
the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So there's this story that Jesus gives that to our Western thinking is completely foreign. A wedding. We can't think of a wedding and why would the bridegrooms and or why, would, why would the bridegroom, uh, why would somebody be yelling the bridegroom is coming? Why would the ten virgins be carrying oil with them? And there's a, there's a commentator that I like to read uh, and I want to read what he had written about this because I think it's, it's pretty interesting to look at someone with some, some more historical knowledge than I have. It's, a little, it's not a real long reading, but it is, it is a reading I hope you can pay attention to. He writes here, If we look at this parable with our Western eyes, it may seem to us to tell an unnatural and made-up story. But in point of fact, it tells a story which could have happened at any time in a Palestinian village and which could still happen today. In a village in Palestine, a wedding was a great occasion. The whole village turned out to accompany the couple to their new home, and they went to, by the longest possible road in order that they might receive the glad good wishes of as many as possible. Everyone, runs the Jewish saying, from 6 to 60 will, allow, will follow the marriage drum. The rabbis agreed that a man might even abandon the study of the law to share in the joy of a wedding feast. So you take these villages, and there's this Palestinian wedding, and there's the drum that's banging, and they're like, hey, there must be a wedding ceremony. Let's go out and welcome these, this, this couple. Now, the point of this story lies in a Jewish custom, which is very different from anything which we know. When a couple married in Palestine, they did not go away for a honeymoon. We went to Cabo San Lucas. That's not what these people did back then. They stayed home. And for a week, they kept open house. They were treated and even addressed as a prince and princess. It was the gladdest week in all their lives. To the festivities of that week, their chosen friends were admitted. And it was not only the marriage ceremony, it was also that joyous week that the foolish virgins missed because they were unprepared. Listen to this. The story of how they missed it is all perfectly true to life. Dr. J. Alexander, Alexander Finlay tells of what he himself saw in Palestine. There's this Dr. Finlay that was in Palestine, and when he was approaching the gates of a Galilean town, he writes, I caught a sight of ten maidens gaily clad and playing some kind of music instrument. As they danced along the road in front of our car, when I asked what they were doing, the driver told me they were going to keep the bride company till her bridegroom arrived. I asked him if there was any chance of seeing the wedding. He shook his head and saying, in effect, it might be tonight, tomorrow night, or it might be in a fortnight's time. Nobody ever knows for certain. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. Then he went on to explain that one of the great things to do, if you could, at a middle-class wedding in Palestine was to catch the bridal party napping. So the bridegroom comes unexpectedly and sometimes in the middle of the night. It is true that he is required by public opinion to send a man along the street to shout, Behold, the bridegroom is coming! But that may happen at any time, so the bridal party has to be ready to go out into the street at any time to meet him whenever he chooses to come. Other important points are that no one is allowed on the streets of Palestine after dark without a lighted lamp, and also that when the bridegroom has once arrived and the door has been shut, latecomers to the ceremony are not admitted. There the whole drama of Jesus' parable is reacted in the 20th century. 
Here is no synthetic story, but a slice of life from the village life in Palestine. It's, look, this isn't biblical. This is historical. But I find it interesting that a lot of Jewish fables and stories parallel the parables of Jesus. They say, yeah, this is something, this is the shadow, this is the shadow of what Jesus is talking about in these types of stories. Is that the bridegroom is, is coming to meet his bride and to be ready. And if, you're, if it's at night, it happens to be, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun, but only the Father. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know when we're going to meet our end, our maker. In Hebrews chapter 9, again talking about Jesus, the power of Jesus, starting in verse 26, to not get into the weeds too much about the sacrifice and the heavenly things and the shadows. But it says, Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now, talking about Christ, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Jesus, obviously, as we know, died on a cross. He was our sacrifice. He sacrificed himself on our behalf for us and took on our sin just as man is destined to die once, we're all going to die. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, talking about this passage, the second coming, the second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. In one translation, it says, to those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I have somewhere to be in a week or a few days, I get a lot of stuff done. When I'm anticipating that I've got something big coming up, I make a list of all the things that I need to get done. And I get more done in that day or two or three days than I'll get done in a week if I don't have a deadline. Right, am I the only one like that? I doubt it. And I think that's why a lot of us get sick when we go on vacation is because we've overstimulated our stress levels so much because we've gotten so many things done or we've tried to get so many things done before we leave. Well, this last week, I'm going on a fishing trip with my three oldest boys for three, four, five days and then meeting some friends on another trip right after that. I'm going to be gone for six days. And so I've made this list of things that i got to get done. And I'm just thinking about if we thought about our Christianity like that, if we thought eagerly anticipating and eagerly waiting for God to come back, for Jesus to return, would our life look different? And I'm a country, country western fan. I like Tim McGraw. He's one of my favorite singers. Uh, he writes a song called Live Like You Were Dying. I'm not going to attempt to sing it. I'm just going to read a few choruses from it. He said, it was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me and a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options, and talking about sweet time. I asked him when it sank in that this 
might really be the real end. How does it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what did you do? And he said, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I love deeper, I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. I went three times that year I lost my dad. I finally read the good book. And I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. I mean, that's a, that's a good country song, but man, it's, it's poetic. If you think about this man who's given a, a basically, you've got X amount of days here. What are you going to do with it? Well, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. No, I'm going skydiving. I'm going Rocky Mountain climbing. I'm going to go ride a bull. For me, I told Brenda, there's a place down in, up, on, uh, up on the ribbon. It's called Hospital Hill. And it's intimidating looking on a mountain bike. Hiking it, carrying a bike is pretty intimidating too. But I said, if I ever got told you've got 30 days left to live, I'm going to go ride that hospital hill. Because every time it gets in my head, every time I go down it, I'm like, ah, this is the time. And I just see the, the consequence for failure. And I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt if I fail on this one. But if I've got 30 days to live, so what? <laughs> Let's just get her done. Get a video. So that's the stuff that I think about too. Uh, and I don't think I'm the only one that does. But the point being, if we knew, if we knew our time was short, would we live life differently? Would we talk to our neighbor about Jesus? Would we invite someone to church? Would we invite someone to Bible study? Would we talk to people differently? Would we talk to our spouse differently? Would we talk to our children differently? Would we give glory to God differently? When we start looking at things eternal, Temporary perspective starts to mean a lot less to me. It really does. Because I can live without fuel. I don't know when fuel is going to get shut off. But I can't. I've already determined I can't live without Jesus. I've determined that. I've tried. It just doesn't work. It's too hard. It's too painful. My head doesn't work. It's too paranoid. It doesn't work without Him. I have to have Him there. It's the only... That's the only explanation for my life, is I have to have him front and center. Now, sometimes I go, oh, and then I go, whoa, let's go back, God, I'm sorry, hey, help me out, help, keep me on the right path, keep me on the right path, help me think, help me think, keep my heart right, keep my soul right. That's what we're doing, we're constantly coming back. So don't hear me saying that living like you were dying is a work-based merit system, because it's not. We're not called to uh, earn our salvation, we're called to work because of the salvation that God has given us. And he says that in Ephesians chapter 2. We were called to work for him. We were, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are his workmanship. And if you continue on the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, because a lot of people struggle with this concept for some reason, that we are called to live a certain way. They're like, well, we have salvation, that's great. But anything you add to that, anything you put on top of that, you're basically... 
minimizing what Jesus did on the cross. I'm like, but I still don't see that in Scripture. I've heard the argument many times. I've heard people say it from the pulpit. I've heard people say it in Bible studies. But I don't see that in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is these three, I think there's these three men, and they were given talents. There was three of them, and they were given talents. And, 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 and the, the master said, hey, here's, here's a talent for you, here's a talent for you, and here's a talent for you. Go do something. And two of the three did something with the talents, the gifting that God gave them. They didn't earn anything. God said, here's a talent for you. Here's talents for you. Here's more talents for you. And two of the three did something with the talents that God gave them. And you know what God did in return? I'm sorry. I don't want to interject God here. But the master did in return. He says, well done. I'm going to give you more to take care of because you've proved faithfulness. Come share in your master's happiness. That's what he says. Come share in your master's happiness. And then further on, he gets to the one that didn't do anything with the talent, that just was given a gift. You're all given a gift, brothers and sisters, every one of you. You were given a gift by God to use for his glory. Okay, this is, if you disagree with God on the parable of talents, this is going to be the one time that I say you have every right to be wrong. Because this is the most simple understanding of this passage here. You've got these talents that God has given to use and you use for His glory and you grow that talent and He says, come share in your master's happiness and the one that doesn't, you know what He calls him? He calls him a worthless servant. A worthless servant. That is what the words of Jesus actually say. He says, for everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Guys, we either believe what this is saying or we don't. If we don't, then we can talk about something else. If we believe this is what it says, we can't just turn the blind eye or stick our head in the sand like that animal. What is it, an ostrich that does that? Sticks his head in the sand like it's not there? Like the problems don't exist. But every one of us are given gifts and talents. And so God is saying in his scriptures here, he's encouraging us to use them for his glory. And use them now because you don't know when, you don't know when he's coming back. You don't know when he's going to demand for you. What have you done with the gifting I gave you? Were you leading worship? Were you preaching? Were you praying for people? Were you washing the feet of the saints? Were you preparing the church building for music? What were you doing? Were you cleaning? Were you, were you mowing the grass? Were you weeding? Were you fixing this? What were you doing for my glory? Is that too harsh? I don't, I don't think so. If you're like, man, this guy's hellfire brimstone. No, I'm not hellfire brimstone. I'm just reading because I'm not going to tickle the ears. We prayed about that. I can't do it. But I'm reading what he says in here. And we have these gifts to serve him, to use what he's given us to grow the body, to build up the church, to glorify God, to make sure we have oil in our lamps. Now the good news is, if you continue on in the Gospels in Luke chapter 19, it 
It says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. I believe that we need to recognize that's why Christ came. Was to seek and to save what was lost. I can raise my hand and say, man, man, I was lost. I can tell you, I can tell you when, I can give you details, I won't. Not in public, maybe individually, but I was lost. And God says, I found you. I found you. <laughs> I found you. Do, do you want do you want me? Do you want the salvation I have to offer? Do you want the life? Do you want the blessings? And I look in these front rows here, and I look in the back row, and I look over there, and I see blessings that God has just said, here you go, son. You accepted it. I'm going to show you the blessings that I have for you because you're seeking me. And there's a story. I'm going to read one more out of this book, out of this commentary, which I thought was... I tried to figure out how to sing this, Therese. Maybe you can help me. But this was a... This was a... Um, I'm going, to write, I'm going to read exactly what it says. This is what a Negro poet wrote. There's a king and a captain high, and he's coming by and by, and he'll find me, he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. You can hear his legions charging in the regions of the sky, and he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. There's a man they thrust aside who was tortured till he died, and he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. He was hated and rejected. He was scorned and crucified, and he'll find me hoeing cotton when he comes. When he comes, when he comes, he'll be crowned by saints and angels when he comes. They'll be shouting out Hosanna to the man that men denied, and I'll kneel among my cotton when he comes. <laughs> I would love to see that man in heaven and say thank you for writing such an awesome poem. I'm assuming it was during times of slavery. I'm assuming it was times during the most painful uh, periods of time in history for one particular race. But this man had this idea that no matter what I'm doing, I'm eagerly anticipating and looking forward to the return of my king. And there's an enemy out there that is saying, don't worry about it. It's okay, you have time. There's a fable about the, the, Satan is with his three minions and the min, one minion comes in and he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down and around to the earth and tell people there is no God. And Satan says, you're not going to get many. Everybody knows there's a God. It's written on their heart. They know there's a God. The other one says, well, okay, Satan, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and tell everybody that there is no hell. He, Satan says, now, nah, you, might, you might grab a few, but not many, because everybody knows that there's a penalty for sin. And the third one comes and says, I'm going to go around and tell every man and woman there is no hurry. Satan answered, you will deceive and ruin many a men that way. There is no hurry. The most dangerous of all delusions is that there is plenty of time to get your heart right with God. That's a grand delusion. There's plenty of time to get your heart right with God. I see this in Scripture, brothers and sisters. Don't kill the messenger. They already did. Okay? 
They already did. When you look in Scriptures here and you see the words of Jesus, and you see like, prepare, get ready, be ready. I know for a fact fuel... I know for a fact fuel may run out and and fuel may not run out. (laughs) I don't know. But in my heart of hearts, faces, I know for a fact Jesus is coming back and I will return and meet Him. I will meet Him one day. I will be on bended knee, whether it's in the field or it's in the... Wherever it's at, I will be on bended knee and I will meet Him one day. In those words that every one of us want to hear, I'm talking right to you right now. If you think, man, I feel like He's talking right to me, I am. Those words that every one of us want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you're a ten-talent, a five-talent, a one-talent, it doesn't matter. Come share in your master's happiness. Isn't that a beautiful promise from the King of Kings? Come share in your master's happiness. You were faithful in a little, I'm going to give you more to be faithful over. Fill our lamps and be prepared for that great and glorious day. God bless you this, guys this morning. Uh, if you want to talk after, I'd be happy to visit with you. Um, I'd be more than happy to visit with you if you want to talk afterwards. Uh, any one of you. And, Therese, do you have communion? No? That. Okay. Oh, looks we've got somebody. All right.